right, let's uh <coughs> pause for uh let's pause for station ID. The hits, the hits, the hits, the hits, the hits, Jair, Rick, we back, baby, back. How you doing, man? Let's get to the shits, man. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the uh, the case of Django. As you've read the title, we are here to analyze the movie in this uh, entirety, entire, entirety, entirety. There it is. Properly, I had to put those two words together, fusion dance, and we're gonna give it to you straight. We're gonna just tell you how we feel about all aspects of the movie, man. I am excited for this one. The case of Django Unchained. Yeah, um, Tarantino movie, one of my favorites of his. I know it's one of your favorites too as well. I, I, the real, the real question about this movie is that who loves it more, you or me? We'll find out. Yeah, I got, I got no idea. Yeah, we we gonna we gonna find out that one. But uh, sidebar, sidebar, what you sipping on tonight, baby? Oh, we get right, right, right into it. Oh, come so, on now, the body is ready. So a little under the weather. So oh, with some water. All mm. right, but I've came prepared for my alliteration, regardless. Django or liquor, what would it be? Mm-hmm. The movie, not the character. We're talking the movie here. Right, right, right. It's got to be whiskey or bourbon, right? It's It has to be. Off the rip. Yep, yep, this, yep. This can't be vodka, tequila. No, this is in the South. We said in the South. It's got to be whiskey or bourbon, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to be something that's like small barrel. Yeah, one of those kind of flavors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm getting at here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with... Uh, the Jack Daniels, the single barrel, not the regular Jack Daniels, but the the upgraded, upgrade version of that, the single barrel select. I like the way you think, boy. Nah, but um, I um, that's that's a fantastic, <laughs> that's a fantastic. Uh, <laughs> uh, did you practice that in the mirror? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, 70, 80 times, but I mean, we was counting, dude. That is um, that that that's, that that small barrel. I, I oh my god, highly underrated. It doesn't get enough love if you ask me. I'm glad you brought that one up. Yeah. Now I'm telling you, as far as liquor itself, you said that's what you consider Django the movie as a liquor. Yes. Or Django the character, the movie. Okay, okay. The movie, the movie. For me, I I focus on Django the character, mm-hmm. and if he was a liquor, what would he be? You are right about the brown. So, we're talking about in 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 Django's in Django's time. So Django wasn't drinking cognac. He was sipping it right there. It definitely is a, a bourbon or a whiskey. I'm gonna go with the bourbon. Uh, no particular brand. I'm gonna just go with a um, a 1858 top shelf bourbon. That's it. That's aged extremely well, extremely yes. well. That's all I'm going with right there. <clears throat> I have no I have no title for liquor for you. I didn't know there was any titles of liquors that even exist back then. I think everything just had a bottle with that triple X with XXX on it. <laughs> that moonshine. <laughs> That's some 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 uh some of Daddy's moonshine, Grandpappy's moonshine. You know what I mean? Out yeah, there playing yeah, the yeah. banjo and shit. <laughs> not not my people. Maybe out there playing the fiddler, the fiddle. All right, um, dude, fantastic. I'm actually sipping on Hennessy right now though, so just for the record. Of course, can't go wrong with Hennessy. Yeah, we've had a whole time. You know how we feel about Hennessy here. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. It's here. It was available in the studio. So compliments of the uh, the the guest of uh, BNY. Yes. So thanks, shout out mm-hmm. to BNY too as well. I'm uh, extremely extremely excited to get into this, but as we do here, mm-hmm. we like to monologue. We like to yes. write original pieces of work, which keep it which keeps it 100 percent authentic to admissible bias. So 
I I was I told you this offline too as well. I'll tell I'll say this online. I was highly inspired by you when it came to me writing this uh this piece. And when I wrote this, I wrote it not just inspired by you with the, your beautiful uh, "The Pimple Butterfly" um, Kendrick Lamar write up on the last Thank on the previous you. podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. But I also wouldn't do in the style of Quentin Tarantino. So a little bit of you mixed with some QT mixed in with myself too. So without further ado, bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to read you a story. This isn't, a, this isn't an article, it's a story. Act One The Prophet. The year is 1831. The state is Virginia. The plantation is irrelevant. The one who the slaves call the prophet, a man they believe receives visions from God above, walks up to the pulpit, Bible in hand. Camera zooms in on the prophet. Bottom of the screen in quotation reads The prophet. In big bright yellow letters He begins reading his favorite passage Ezekiel 25 17 The path of the righteous man Is beset on all sides By the inequities of the selfish And the tyranny of evil men Blessed is he Who in the name of charity and goodwill Shepherds the weak through the valley Of darkness For he is truly his brother's keeper And the finder of lost children and I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. The congregation erupts with loud applause and joy. Hugs and hallelujahs become contagious amongst the people. The prophet stands there, stone-faced, and ready to, oh no. The prophet has fallen on his knees. Head split and eyes rolling in the back of his head. The church members run up to him in terror. A vision. He's having a vision. Give him space. The prophet awakens. And the church all by himself. Well, there is one other. Sitting in the front pew. Don't speak, prophet. We do not have much time. I am spirit. And it is time. Deliver your people from the serpent. Kill the serpent. Deliver your people from the serpent. Kill the serpent. Deliver your people from the serpent. Kill the serpent. The prophet awakens. The church is relieved, but the curiosity of what happened takes over. The prophet only says, follow me. Mobilize the people. Tonight we kill the serpent. Act 2. The night and the light. Narrator. The prophet and seven disciples are ready. Knives, tomahawks, hammers in hand. No need for muskets were given to no Negro during these times. The prophet wants all the rich serpents dead. Men, women, children, don't matter. The poor white people are the only ones to be spared, though. That's enough backstory. Let's see what took place. Blood. Blood and body parts. Blood and body parts and dead serpents everywhere. The master serpent sitting on his knees, bleeding profusely from his cut-off arm. The prophet with five of his his disciples blood all over their clothes. The prophet speaks. Hang him from a tree like he did our brothers and sisters. This property belongs to us now. The disciples take out a screaming master as he isn't mastering anymore. The prophet's job is done. The next day brings relief. The prophet now wearing master's old clothes looks out on his people celebrating. He smiles with joy. Before he walks back inside to his new house 
The sky immediately becomes dark. Yells and screams surround everywhere as people run and duck in fear. The prophet stares into the sky. The sky stares back. After a few moments, the light is bright again. The prophet realizes the impact of what just, just took place. He has received a new message from the spirit. Cut out the light of all serpents. Act 3. The Lieutenant. November 10th, 1831. The lieutenant reads the local paper over breakfast in his Virginia home nearby Fort Monroe. His wife, still adjusting from being a rich man's daughter to having only two slaves, sits with him as well. The lieutenant reads the headline. Local slave uprising. 500 slaves defeat local militia. Jerusalem belongs to the niggers. The lieutenant becomes enraged as his fingers tremble as he reads on. The one they call the prophet declares himself the new ruler of New Jerusalem. Who arrives to end the so-called private? The lieutenant slams the paper on the table, scaring his wife and the slaves working in the kitchen. He gets into his uniform and rides to Fort Marone. The lieutenant arrives on post, barging in the room where his commanding officer is having his morning tea in his own officer quarters. The lieutenant. What are we going to do about Jerusalem? The nigger took over the whole town. The commanding officer. It is being handled, lieutenant. Your services are not needed here. Unless you like to shine my shoes, I suggest you leave. The lieutenant. Your plan is to do nothing. I want him dead. Hang from the highest oak with his parts cut off. I see you. I'll make the orders around here. You have no authority over me. I'll catch a nigga in the slave army. You have no part of this boy. The lieutenant. How about you catch this? Bang. Bang, bang, bang. The commanding officer drops to the floor, blood squirting all out of his body. He's dead. The lieutenant wipes his mouth and places his revolver back into the holster. The lieutenant organizes every soldier on base, up to a thousand men strong, all with muskets, rifles, and horses. They march on to New Jerusalem to take back what they believe is theirs. The final act. Act four. The lieutenant versus the prophet. Narrator. A few of the prophet's disciples have been spying on Fort Monroe for activity up on the high hills. And you better believe they ran back to warn the free blacks in New Jerusalem of the blue coats marching towards their New Haven. They get back to the prophet and let him know what they saw. The prophet, also a wise tactician, knows this battle cannot be won by normal means. Guerrilla attacks will ensue. Okay, I'm done talking. See what's going on. The lieutenant's army enters New Jerusalem, but the city seems abandoned. Not a single soul in sight. Pop! One army man down. Three army men down. All hell breaks, breaks loose as the 500 disciples shoots from all sides and throw tomahawks. The lieutenant's army starts firing back in the dark of the night, but they cannot see their targets. The prophet and a few disciples sit back in the trees, ready to pounce with his men and claim victory from the serpents. As the prophet goes to make his move, he falls to the ground, head splitting in agony, eyes rolling in the back of his head. As he awakens, he is in the forest without his disciples. But the spirit has returned. The spirit. You are to die tonight. The prophet. But why? My mission, the spirit. Your mission is not done. This former you will perish in battle, but your spirit will be moved onto another vessel. Your new body will be born in an hour's time. The prophet. Who am I to be? What will be my purpose? The spirit. This former you are in, Nat Turner, has been one of many you have used. You do not remember but one day you remember all the lives you have lived. You will soon forget. 
but here's a preview of your future. Nat Turner, the prophet, eyes are shown a man in the snow, shooting precisely at a snowman. A white counterpart at his side telling him, they'll call you the fastest gun in the South. The vision ends. Nat Turner, show me more. The spirit, one day. Until then, this form has one more purpose. Nat, what is it? Spirit, kill the lieutenant and change the war to come. Nat, what? What lieutenant? The spirit, I must go now. Nat Turner wakes back up as the disciples tell him he's been out for 40 minutes. The battle has changed tide. The Virginia army has killed a number of Turner's people as they approach the woods. Turner, with the power of knowing his immediate future, he has accepted his fate. He puts down his gun and arms himself with two tomahawks. With faith on his side, he kills man after man as he feels impervious to bullets firing in his direction. Limbs are chopped off, heads decapitated, penises mutilated, arteries bursting out blood. The disciples follow him, yet they are picked off one by one. On the other side, the lieutenant makes his way up the tree lines, killing many of the prophets men in the process. Realizing the disciples are low on firepower, the lieutenant hops off his horse and goes sword on foot, shouting out the name. Prophet! Prophet! Find me so I can kill you, nigger! Nat Turner hears his name being called. He runs towards the sound and catches up to it. Nat Turner. Who calls? The lieutenant. The man who ain't your life tonight. The armies on both sides surround the men. 75 behind Turner. 600 around the lieutenant. The lieutenant. Nobody kills him but me. Turner. Now perplexed, ask a question. What's your name? Who are you? The lieutenant. I am Lieutenant Robert Lee. Tonight you will draw your last breath. Turner smiles. You're both right and wrong. I am the prophet of God Almighty, and I will take you with me tonight. Lee. Nick! A tomahawk cuts Lee's juggler, instantly killing him. Everyone is puzzled and amazed at such a precise throw. Turner smiles and laughs as the Union Army ends their shock and fires the guns into his body, killing him and all his disciples in the process. Greenville, Mississippi, November 11th, 1821. A slave mother, though much agony, gives birth to a slave child. It is a boy. As the baby cried, the midwife asked, what will his name be? Narrator. <laughs> You'll find soon you find out soon enough. Just know that the D is Silent Hill, Billy. Finn. The D is silent. If you can unveil that curtain a little bit, the, the behind the scenes, what was your uh, inspiration for this? Uh a couple of things. One, like I told you, Tarantino, yourself. The big Tarantino uh thing for me for writing that article was Inglorious Bastards with a twist at the end with them actually killing Hitler so I tied tied this one right here to Nate Turner and if you know Nate Turner's story how he felt about he, he was having visions and somebody was coming to speak to him a spirit was telling him what will happen next that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so Nate Turner so uh, Nat Turner you know the slave uprising in 1831 uh, that's around the same time that also Robert E. Lee was a he was also in Virginia. He was a lieutenant in 1831. So I took that time to kind of like twist history like Tarantino does to put both the stories together. Uh, back to the uh, Nat Turner point. 
the slave of rebellion, he uh, uprose. He actually died in Jerusalem. And my story, he actually took over the city and he had more free slaves with him too as well. Uh, Nate, uh, Nat Turner, keep saying Nate. Nat Turner, he was a very religious man. He was a preacher. Uh, the verse I used is equal eight, uh, 25, 17, Pulp Fiction. Also throwback. Uh, like I say, he's a very religious man. He always felt he had visions from talking to a higher power. So I tied in that spirit aspect, the serpent. And so it was one of the visions that he said he had that was told to him to kill down the serpent, talking about uh, white white slave owners. And I told I use that also to tie to Robert E. Lee, who was a lieutenant at the time, which at the end you saw that he killed him in the process. Uh, the knives, tomahawks, and hammers, the reason why they, uh, his slave army ran around with that was because of they couldn't really get their access to guns, you know, just being black in 1831. So that's how they killed most of their, well, pretty much all of their uh, their their slave owners, and they went from plantation to plantation, killing all sorts of all sorts of people. Unfortunately, in the end, Nat Turner was killed, skinned, boiled alive. Like it was, it was really gruesome what happened to him at the end. But in my story, things changed a little bit. And also, I played with uh, that high high power thing when uh, Nat Turner, with uh, him being religious, the spirit, and pretty much his consciousness transforming or transferring to another body in Django, which is another religious aspect too, of uh, of old uh, of uh, Christian culture, the old original text of reincarnation. So mm. it all comes back full circle, baby. That's that. That yeah. was uh, I get some water here. Give us, give some Hennessy myself. God damn. <laughs> <sighs> and you know what? I wrote that. I finished all that today too, as well. Rather got, rather got out of class. I just got to work on that thing. So, it was great, absolutely great, dude. I love, I love writing that shit. So, thank you very much for inspiration. I would show that you enjoyed writing that up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Had a had to play uh, several voices on that one, and also shout out to uh, the narrator and uh, Quentin Tarantino movies too as well. Mm. I think it's a very underrated part. All right, you ready to get into Django? Yes. All right, let's do it. Um, we got a couple categories here. Would you mind mm-hmm. if I just introduce them? Please. All right, we're gonna start off with the uh, all the lights category. What's all the best best action scene in the movie? Best drama scene? Best comedic scene? Uh, the control verse category, which is the outstanding feature. We talk about the best supporting actor, actress, best outstanding actor, actress, supporting scene, and best supporting line. Uh, soundtrack category, best soundtrack moment. Uh, change one soundtrack if you uh, if you could off the moving, and which record would be your own personal jingle theme song. And then we got the last call category, iconic uh, codec moment. Also talking about how the movie is aged and a possible sequel. Jair, please lead off the uh, all the lights category. I'm so, done talking. <laughs> <laughs> Let me unveil the curtain a little bit, and I think why we ch- why we chose this right in the in this uh, what's going on in the culture right now. Uh, Kerry Washington was talking about this movie with the panel, and they said, you know, when the movie is about slavery, about the oppression, uh, Twelve Years a Slave, roots. They try to the they're pushing for an empathetic. Heartstring. That's what they're going with. Django is a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Django makes you feel exhilarated. Well, Django makes you feel a lot of things, but it makes you, when you walk out of that theater, 
when you walk, when the Blu-ray ends, you feel exhilarated, you feel excited, and that's a really weird thing that hadn't been done to this to this point yet. And so that's why we went with this movie. Mm-hmm. So, if I could add, if I could add on that a little yes, bit, yes, please, please, please. Uh, one thing with a lot of slave movies too, as well, it's just horrendous. Like Roots, I mean, yeah, the the road to get there was just horrific to watch. Twelve years a slave, like I'm just this slave movies. Like this was a slave movies. Like at first I was like another slave. I'm like I'm tired of watching slave movies. But then I actually saw so got his not even read like the whole script or anything like that. But I was reading more of the plot. Like you know, like after the trailer, you just like like a little sec, a little uh, synopsis. There it is, right there. And I was like, wait, hold a second now. This motherfucker is a, a a comic book superhero movie almost. Like you yeah. said. No, he is. Yeah, he's our first twenty first century minority superhero character. Django, the first black superhero. Yeah, I uh, I am I I've been saying that for years too as well, and yep. finally get to say on a goddamn mic, Django, the first black superhero, Django, the first black superhero. So it's much better than remember the Titans. <laughs> I still love that movie though. All right, go on, go on, do your <laughs> thing, baby. <laughs> all right, best action scene. I'm gonna go with the intro because all great movies have a great intro. You gotta have an intro, just like that great album to Pimp a Butterfly, available on Immiscible Bias. Hey. Wesley's theory, you gotta have a great intro. So what does this intro do, right? First of all, it establishes the setting. We're in the 1800s in the South. The blood, the gore, the makeup, the, the language. There's no sugarcoat in this. You know what you're in for off the rip. Mm-hmm. This, is not, this is not a movie for the lighthearted. Uh, the stakes are real. The emotions are real. Uh, it's going to be a gruesome, bloody Kill Bill kind of movie, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. The second thing it does. Uh, Christoph Waltz is coming off of Glorious Bastards as one of the most iconic villains, top five ever all time. That's a personal opinion. And to go from that to now being on the good side is a hard thing to do because it's very easy to get into that typecast role. While still playing the German. While still playing the German. (laughs) And he kills it. And we also get his sense of of the dramatic. We get how this bounty law works in the Django universe. And we get the Dr. Schultz Love of drama. Mm-hmm. So the iconic, uh, my good man, did you simply get carried away with your dramatic gesture or, or are you pointing your weapon at me with lethal intention? <laughs> and that, then that's where he, he draws his gun and shoots him right off the rip. Mm-hmm. So you understand how bounty law works in this universe and it sets the stage so well on just the opening scene. And also, if I may, when Django originally has the uh, uh, the, the blanket, blanket yeah. him, and it comes off in the wind, whoosh, it's, a, it's almost like a superhero, like removing that cape. Mm. The very slight attention to detail, and it's uh, it's brilliantly done. Uh. That's your favorite. That's the, uh, you're talking about drama intro. What uh, which scene here are you talking about in this category? I'm talking action with the blood, action. with the, the gun drawn and everything. We get the shootout. Hmm. See, I, and I do love that scene right there. But I got a better action scene for you. And oh, by the way, we didn't say this already. Spoiler alert. Just better clean that up too as well. You know, people are. Uh, Django versus Candy's men. Like right after, um, right after uh, shots killed candy and everybody started screaming from there Django went off off 
right there. Blood, I'm talking blood splurting everywhere. Every bullet that was hit was a bomb. You got all of Candy's men showing up at the door, and, and Django just holding a revolver. Pop, 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 some John Wayne shit. Pop, 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 pop. Uh, uh, grabbing guns, hiding over bodies, shooting all over the place. I, I, I can't, I, I, I don't have the, the number of men that he killed right there. At least over 20, 20 or 30. 20 or 30. I'm just going, to, just going on top of the head right now. Man, that I love everything about this scene. This scene is so Tarantino. It's so it's so bloody, so gory, so uh, the bride versus the the crazy eighty eight. Like it is just it's just it is an amazing scene, amazing scene, amazing theatrical scene right there. High action everywhere, and of course, uh, Snowball comes through and ruins that shit. But Django was out of um, out of bullets anyway. But yeah, I'm going with that right there. Django versus Candy's men. And Django and flawless victory until you ran out of ammo. And and to your point, uh, you brought up like John Wayne. Like this movie is essentially a Clint Eastwood film. Like uh, those spaghetti westerns. Think back to Once Upon a Time mm-hmm. in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Those uh, those kind of scenes in that movie, a bounty law. Uh, this is essentially a Clint Eastwood spaghetti western with Django now. So that comes to your point with with the uh, the blood and the gore and all these things. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, what's your best drama? The intro to Calvin Candy. Mm. Got to understand these characters first, right? And something that's happening. First of all, we understand he's menacing. We have these two slaves fighting for their survival. It's mm-hmm. a gruesome fucking scene. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's appalling to look at, quite frankly. Uh, it should be appalling to look at. I think that's what Tarantino was going for. But you see, like, uh, like a just you see Calvin Candy enjoying the raw thrill of it, so you understand he's menacing off the off the rip. Mm-hmm. You understand he's arrogant mm-hmm. with high taste. Uh, if you remember, he dresses like a Frenchman but speaks no French. <laughs> It'll embarrass him. You it embarrass him. So he has <laughs> this high taste. He has the pipe. He has the coat. He has the 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 fun little straw and the don't spare the rum, uh, drink. Mm-hmm. You know you understand. And finally. In a very sick, sadistic way, manipulative way, he likes to be beloved by his slaves. In the when the man wins the fight, give this man a nice tall beer. Mm-hmm. He likes to play the host in this sick, manipulative way. Mm-hmm. But you understand that this is a part of this character's persona. I want to follow that. Now this is called best drama scene. Get the best out of there. Drama scene. So, at this point right now, you're talking about Candy. It was, it was a key part that said this guy doesn't deserve any of your love or adoration. Yes, is Leo playing a great role as you know playing a great role as an actor, but let's let's get all the bullshit out the way, all the smooth talking, gentlemen. First, you have my curiosity. Now you got my attention. Now fuck all that. When they were going to Candyland, and uh, one of his fighters escaped, mm-hmm. y'all probably you, hey five hundred dollars I paid for you. You gave me three fights. Who's gonna give my extra two hundred dollars? Yeah. And then Schultz said, "I'll pay you." And then Django was like, "No, no, no, let's not do that right there. You're gonna, you're gonna fuck this whole thing up for us." And they had to sit there and watch the slave get eaten alive by dogs on Candy's orders. And Candy just looked at Django the entire time. That right there was the that was the point right there. It's like no, completely. I don't care who I don't care how you felt beforehand. If you didn't say fuck that guy afterwards, there's nothing human about you. Candy had a candy had to go at that point. And honestly, that eventually led 
the Candy's death right there. If you uh, remember that conversation between uh, Shorts mm-hmm. and Shorts mm-hmm. and Candy with the um, yeah, in the uh, in the the the, the quad cake in yep. the the library or the, the whatever. Plan. Yeah, yep. yeah, yep. So the flashbacks that 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 no, cost it's an iconic scene where they're both staring each other in the eye. And historical as too as well for his life. Mm-hmm. And but it's at that point it's Calvin versus Django. And you can see Calvin knowing it's ripping Django apart and it's Django trying to hide it mm-hmm. as best as he can. Mm-hmm. And it's that, that, that power dynamic at, uh, at its core right there of uh, two heavyweights of the film going at it. It was a, yeah, an emotional yeah, yeah. Extremely powerful scene. Level. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that scene was that set the bars for the movie at that point. Yep. It shows you exactly if you had any doubt who Candy was, it shows you exactly who Candy was, which is important for the film. What's your best comedic scene? This scene should not work on paper at all. <laughs> this scene makes no sense. If I told you, Ricky, audience, listening, thank you for listening, by the way. Audience, we're going to have a horse rally with members of the KKK rolling down a hill as this really dramatic Beethoven Beethoven like music plays. KKK members falling off their horse and then complaining about masks not fitting? This should not make sense in any way, shape, or form, but Quentin Tarantino pulls it off magically. One of many in this movie. <laughs> this thing should not work. It should not work. This is like Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder with blackface. It should it, not work. It shouldn't be a thing, but everybody loves it. It shouldn't be a thing. But he pulls, but he pulls it off. It's hilarious. Of course, they get blown up to smithereens after. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a hilarious scene. And this... Because this movie is so emotional and so heavy, we need that comedic tension to mm. breathe. And uh, it's, it's a necessary scene that allows you, the listener, me, the viewer, to, to just just relax for a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also you had Jonah Hill in that scene too as well. And you had Jonah Hill. Where did Jonah Hill come from? <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> the mask on or off? <laughs> don't, don't ask me and mine's for any more. He's in the art. That shit was funny. I can't see shit out of this thing. Yeah, it, it fucking works. And also, like, once it's one thing with uh, Tarantino playing with history, with throwing the KKK in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just elements like that that just just makes the film amazing. Right. The setting is historically accurate with mm-hmm. just a nonfiction story at the center cutting through this setting. It's, yeah, that's his whole wheelhouse right there. And that, that's his wheelhouse. It's a, it's a historically exaggerated what-if film, but it's based on realistic evidence and setting which makes the movie feel real mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a period piece yes uh for me my favorite comedic scene Come on who's now. that nigga on that nag snowball the intro to snowball Django versus snowball the battle of wits no you gonna, you gonna see the big house they don't see the big house all right that's all right, right there you gonna burn those she's burning the bed burn the whole house now Hey, you got to say anything you say to me, Snowball. Nah, I love everything about that shit right there. Sam Jackson killed that motherfucking role. God damn. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like he doesn't get a credit for it. He just, the acting is just, oh my God, dude. But I mean, I hate a Snowball. It's not, it's not, it's not twisted. I mean, he's the most, in a way, he's the most uh, evil character out there. Samuel L. Jackson will tell you that when he, uh, they did the interview for this. Oh, I I agree with that too as well. Yeah, I do as well. Uh, Uncle Ruckus, great granddaddy. You could tell the script is excellent, but you could tell Samuel is kicking it into 10th gear. He even dropped a motherfucking that whole um, 
that whole uh, exchange. I heard that. I was like, what? <laughs> they they said that. Did they say that back then? Maybe. I don't know. But I was like, I'm like, I'm treating y'all the house, motherfucker. I'm like, oh. I mean, you have Sam Jackson movie. How can you not say motherfucker? You can tell uh, it's Samuel going into 10th gear, really heightening it. Uh, you can tell Leo was playing off of it. Uh, there's a slight, like, half second when Leo, I forget the person who's pointing at the carriage with him, and they look at each other. You can tell that's, like, ad-libbed, and they both want to, like, crack a little laugh, but, they, of course, they're brilliant at what they do. Uh, oh, another scene that should not work, but it works. Uh, it's an, the iconic, the, maybe the second most iconic scene in the whole film. And uh, I heard somebody say, I forget, I wish they had reference, but they were saying uh, Samuel's character, a snowball, <laughs> is doing two things here. <laughs> he is A, showing that Calvin is a good host, <laughs> and B, he's trying to show the other slaves of this plantation that you are not Django, that you cannot act like that. That was an interesting uh, dynamic when I read that. Um, yes, I agree with that too as well. That's, that's very interesting the dichotomy. Uh, also, another thing with this whole scene is uh, the uh, the gift Jeff, whatever you call it, of uh, Sam Jackson's face, Snowball's face when he sees Django oh, on that horse. Come on, that's <laughs> that shit is <laughs> that's iconic, man. Oh my god, I know we said Kodak moment, but I mean that's that's fucking classic, bro. <laughs> Jesus, I love it. I love it right there. I love that whole scene. Uh, let's move on. Uh, control versus category. So uh, we're so here. We're just talking outstanding features. Who you got? Best supporting uh, actor slash actress. It's, it's got to be Leo, man. Okay. Respect it. Uh, he completely like Jamie Foxx holds his own in this movie. I think he does a really, really good job. Mm -hmm. But quite frankly, he he is outclassed by Leo Samuel and uh, Kerry Washington. I would throw in there and. Uh, uh, Dr. Schultz. Uh, I can't think right now. Oh, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz, thank you. Yeah, I got you. Uh, Jamie Foxx does a really, really, really good job in this film. He's excellent. I'm glad Will Smith turned this role down. We'll talk about that. I'm glad Will Smith turned this role down. He, he said that Wild Wild West would turn down Django. How many roles has Will Smith turned down? Let's, let's Please, just keep going. Uh, he turned down uh, Morpheus in the Matrix, too. Uh, Neo. No, Morpheus. Keep going. We'll, talk, we'll get back to that. Yeah. Uh, Leo is without question just on a whole nother level. The iconic dinner table scene, of course, where he cuts his hand with the glass and continues to act. Oh my God! Pours the blood all over Kerry Washington's face. Blood. That was fake blood, by the way. They did a reshoot of that. That oh. was fake blood poured on her. But uh, continuing it, you can see Christoph Waltz. You look at him, like Jamie Foxx is still doing his thing, like he's in the moment. But Christoph Waltz is like kind of looking at Leo's hand, like. Yo, are you all right? Uh, it, it's the iconic scene in this whole fucking movie. It leads to the shootout, to your point you brought up earlier. Mm -hmm. Leo just goes into a whole nother gear. Uh, you can't have a great superhero without a great villain. He pulls mm -hmm. it off. And it's Leo. He, you, we're so used to Leo and these, like, gentlemen, like, suave, Titanic, uh, Inception, Wolf of Wall Street. Hadn't come out yet, but you get what I'm saying. Once upon a time in Hollywood, and to go from that no, you're the you are the fucking villain. We hadn't seen that from him. Mm -hmm. And he pulls it off. We don't even see Leo. We we see Calvin Candy. He goes into tenth gear. No one else could have did it. Absolutely shines. You say we see Leo. 
Some will argue we may see uh, Rick Dalton right there. Ah, Easter egg. Get back to that a little later. <laughs> uh, for me, I got uh, I got Christopher Waltz. That's my uh, that's my number one. I mean, every scene this man is in, the he, the dialogue is amazing. First, he's just a, a tremendous actor. I mean, everything he's in is just an amazing role. I mean, what scene can I point to? Uh, the intro you already talked about. Uh, him at um telling Django the story with the uh with the the German Brumhilda how that whole, uh, how the whole uh, thing popped up. Him interacting with uh Candy too as well, playing a role. Him eventually killing Candy, even when he was dead, he still had such a huge impact on the scene. When Django went back to the plantation, and he saw uh he saw Doctor Charles body just sitting there in the corner. Okay. Like it's just it's just it's it's the the subconscious of that that he his presence is still there. And also, he taught Django everything. And he had faith in Django from the get-go. Who are these people? Can you recognize them? Okay, good. Follow me. Come with me. I grant you your freedom. I'll give you $75. You know what? We did good over here, too, as well, with, um, I guess, Big Daddy Johnson. Or, or yeah, Big Daddy. How about you, how about you, let's work together for the rest of the year. I put nothing but money in your pocket. Let's go down and save your wife. Like, everything was just... So selfless with this cat, with this character. Hey, I just, I got to give him, I got to give him his rose on that one right there. Doctor Charles Christopher Waltz, yeah, enjoy that one. Kills it. Comes off a back to back supporting actor uh, Oscars off of Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. and then Django. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else can you say about the man? Uh, the power dynamic. Uh, I talked about earlier. Uh, Calvin Candy loves the dramatic. He he has high taste and all this bullshit. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> you know who else has high taste? Hmm. Dr. Schultz. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Schultz loves, and his persona is that he enjoys being the smartest person in the building. Mm-hmm. I brought up my goods. Are you pointing your gun with lethal intention? When they after that scene, when they go to the tavern and he's pouring a uh, Django the beer, mm. right? In other words, Sheriff, you owe me five hundred dollars. <laughs> and the music breaks from there. And the music <laughs> breaks down from there. Uh, he enjoys the thrill of that. He understands how Bonnie Law works. He knows how to get away with it. Uh, when they uh, when they go to the plantation, the first plantation, and Django shoots. I forget his name off the rip. When Django in the blue suit, Kodak moment. Oh uh, God! Shooting a boy, and it's Christoph Waltz essentially b- talking and bullshitting his way like a lawyer to, hey, we got to get out this fucking property right now before we get shot out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's, it's genius, but here's where we're going with this. Hmm. In some ways, that's the power dynamic that leads to uh, Calvin Candy and Dr. Schultz, is that they both like this high persona. They both like to be the intelligent one. That's why it pissed off Christoph Waltz so much when, when Beethoven he, is being played. When he lost. When he lost. And then that gets into the, the Dumar uh, being black. Mm-hmm. That that whole dynamic. That's why it sets it up so beautifully. Those two killed it. Best outstanding uh, featuring scene. Off the dinner table when he when he pulls out the, when he when Calvin Candy comes out with the skull. Oh, the skull! Oh my god! Uh, it's just <laughs> it is the iconic. It is the best scene in the movie. Quite frankly, uh, I'll take it over the shootout. It it's the best scene. One of the all-time best scenes of any Tarantino, any movie, period. Oh, uh, it's the you add the 
the nor of Leo cutting his hand on top of everything. Mm-hmm. You get the the lead up. You get uh, Samuel and Carrie Washington going back. Why is you scary? Cause you scary me. So you get this huge <laughs> build up. They go to like the little library. Samuel's got the cognac in the cognac glass, doing hey. his villain thing, mm-hmm. uh, talking back and forth. But he didn't pay you, did he? Leading all up to now. This dude who loves to be the intelligent one, who loves to be the 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 flamboyant character one, he just been fooled. So now he's pissed off, which leads to uh, everything. How about how about opening up your skull and see you got the same three dimples there? Ah! And his henchman comes in with the with the salt off. Yep. Put your hands on the table so I can yep. see him. Even the way he does the <laughs> when when Samuel's counting the twelve. <laughs> Thousand, the way he beats the sold, like his whole perception and everything about it. Sold, yeah, the way he way he delivered that line. Oh my god, to the to an exceptional German in his exceptional nigga. I was like, God damn. If I may actually continue with this, please. Uh, when they were first shooting this, Leo was like, "Are we going too far with this?" Mm-hmm. Uh, he had his reservations, naturally so. Mm-hmm. Like, man, we're we're really like pushing this. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, Samuel telling them, "This is not Tuesday for us. This will be." I think Tarantino told them, "This will be. If you don't go all in, people will talk about this for the rest of your life. You need to go all in." And boy, does he! Yeah, I mean, he absolutely. I mean, what more can you say? It, it may be my favorite uh, Tarantino scene as far as like non-action with straight mm-hmm. straight delivery. Uh, I have one too as well. You kind of touched on it earlier, but um, there's a lot of short scenes you could pick from. But I think the the best one is probably the beginning where you really see what shorts is about. It's when they walk into the town, Django's on the horse. They go into the bar, and then he says, he tells the uh, bar guy, "Hey, go get the, uh, the marshal, or no, go get the sheriff." Sheriff comes <laughs> out, walks yeah. up, pops him in the heart. God damn it. And tell you, everybody at the time, everybody's like, "What the fuck was that?" Uh, everyone's running in the background. Ah! Yeah, the whole crowd, the back setting is just running crazy. A lady in the back completely faints out. Somebody's yep. on like um, what is, what is it? Uh, a crutch trying to trying to trying to trying to hop off and get away. Now, go get the marshal. And then the marshal comes up, guns all over the place, and he comes out, a hundred guns trained on him, and the man talks his way out. You're talking about high planning right there. High tactician. You kill the man first before you can start speaking. Because dead man don't talk. Once he's dead, it's my word against his. And he ain't saying shit right now. So I got the I got the the information with me through the judge. You can give him a call. I am a bounty hunter. Feel free to verify that. And like you said, Jair, and by the way, you owe me two hundred dollars. Then the music drops and Marshall's like, God damn fuck. It is what it is. Also, shout out to him. Um, and one thing about the scene too, is if I, if I can, one thing Tarantino, Tarantino does well. He does this in a lot of his movies. I'm going to point you to uh, two uh, scenes with uh, Christopher Waltz. Is uh, when he's getting the beer, mm-hmm. he's filling the beer up, zoom in on the beer, yep. sets the beer down, has the uh, the, uh, the little popsicle stick, gets the fuzz out, serves the beer in front of Django. But it's all up close shots, like quick, 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 like that. Another scene. Um, when Christopher Walsh is playing the uh, the Nazi general or German, I don't know if he's a general, the uh, security officer, uh, in the uh, the restaurant scene with the uh, the Jewish uh, lady that was pretending to be a French woman, 
uh, Mars, Mars, I forgot the name because of the M. Talking about Glorious Bastards here? Yeah, Glorious Bastards. Okay, okay, yeah. When he scoops the um, the cream and he puts it on the pastry and it's just nothing but quick shots of them going from scoop on the pastry, scoop for me on the pastry and back and forth again. Like, it's just that, that attention to detail with his scenes that I love so much about him. And you see that bleeding over in a lot of his movies. And bleeding over, you see a lot of blood too as well, but... I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. So as soon as I saw that right there, I was like, "This is just classic Tarantino." I'm already in love with it. <laughs> I already love it. And the act on top of that was just the uh, the cherry on top of that cream, baby. So too easy. There. Yep. Yeah, it's just a little. I got, I got a couple mixtape bars. Nothing too wild though. Oh, I know what's going with this. Go ahead. The power dynamic of the law and how it's set, and I kind of talked about how bounty law works in this universe. They talked about the West, the South. I'm kind of going off subject, but it, it correlates here. Reminds me of Jay-Z's 99 Problems, hmm. second verse. You was doing 55 and a 54, license registration, step out of the car. I know I carry a weapon on you. I know a lot of you are. Hmm. Jay's response, I ain't stepping out of shit. All my paper's legit. And they go back and forth with this power dynamic. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what uh, Dr. Schultz, Christoph Waltz's character, is doing in this film. He understands <clears throat> the law. He understands the boundaries of it. He knows how to press against it, but stay within its legality. Mm-hmm. And he knows how to play the law to his tone. Mm. And he pulled that off per- perfectly there. He walked away with his life with a th- with a hundred guns on him in a town that just saw him kill a sheriff. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we don't get no, it's, 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 that's probably one of the biggest balls moves I've seen in the movie. Um, what's your favorite uh, line from a supporting character? I mean, first you have my curiosity. Now you have my attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then as the as he the as he slurps the straw and it's empty, kind of sound like mm-hmm. there's no more juice left. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gold. It's yeah, gold. that's it. I mean, we say that to this day. You and me, just yeah, back yeah. and forth in normal conversation. It's so quotable. We like, said you can use yeah. it in normal conversation. We said it on podcasts plenty of times too, as well. Oh, absolutely. We'll say it again after this. So, for me, um, it's with the uh, Schultz and Django when Schultz handed uh, Django the gun to kill Big Daddy. And then perfect shot, first shot, Django got him. And the shot says, hmm, the kid's a natural. Absolutely love it. And from there, it just sets off Django being the fastest gun in the South, as I said earlier. Yeah, but I, I love that line right there. The way I, got another I can't deliver as good as he did, but yeah. You silver tongue devil, you. It's her. <laughs> the way he delivers it as a... Uh, Carrie Washington's character passes out. Shout out to Carrie Washington. She is absolutely killing it. Oh, of uh, course. Throughout this movie. This movie does not work without her. She is the integral piece to this. An amazing actress. She absolutely kills it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another line I like too as well is um, after <laughs> when Django goes back to Candy Spot and he kills everybody but he leaves um, uh, Snowball there. Snowball. Oh, yeah. I count six shots. Django. I count two guns. Bang! <laughs> It's, uh, yeah. It's like like, man. Yeah, I'm over like an NBA announcer. Bang! <laughs> like Mike Green. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right, uh, soundtrack category. What is your favorite? Actually, can I lead this off, please? Yeah. Uh, my favorite soundtrack moment on here, Rick Ross, 100 Black Coffins. When that, when, when that shit dropped, I walk in the moonlight with you. With, uh, with, um... I've got the actor's name right now, uh, Billy Billy uh, Billy Crash, in the in the movie. He's 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 been in a couple movies too as well. I just, his name just slips me at the time. Sorry everybody. 
um, and Django walking. I go, I go dance with you walking moonlight with you, boy. Yeah, you better listen to you, better listen to your master. We're gonna have fun together, and that leads up to there. Then uh, next you hear is just the beat drop. Then Rick Ross come through, dude. I'm in studio. I'm in the movie when this thing when this thing popped out, and you got a mixed crowd, black, white, Asian, Puerto Rican, uh, Indian, you know, everybody, all sorts of uh, uh, ethnic groups in there. And that Rick Ross popped on. I lied to you not. Everybody had like the same head now going off at one time. Mm-hmm. Everybody did like it just came out of nowhere. Like we're in a Western movie, a Western like a south, southwestern movie, set in the slave period, and then Rick Ross and Hunter Black Coffins pop up, which is honestly the perfect track. I know one person who I talked to said they didn't really like it at the time. I got, I got to talk to him again, looking back in retrospect. But I absolutely loved everything about it. It was just out of the norm for that. Up to that point, it was all kind of like kind of time period music too as well, but. It, it was pressing a little bit, but when that jingle, when that when that Rick Ross dropped, I'm like, dude, I am in Tarantino's world right now, for real. That that broke so many walls just hearing that music with this scene walking, and the song's fucking fantastic. I played it early today, getting ready for this podcast. I played it again after this shit. A hundred black, a hundred black coffins. I need a hundred black coffins. And that Ross killed that shit, man. Yeah, that's me. That's all day. That's my favorite one. I mean, it's, it's the go-to pick with good reason. Mm-hmm. I took, it's a, it's I took a, that one, baby. It's an all-time needle drop uh, moment. In fact, one of the Ringer podcasts talk, had a, a pod dedicated to just needle drop moments, and that made the list like top 10, which, I mean, I think it's deserving of it. Uh, I like I'm gonna that. Go, I like that. Yeah, I'm going to go, which talks about, the, the if I can, the reach of this film. It, Like you said, the theater is packed of all different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. This movie doesn't just reach one demographic. It just just does not reach you or me. Mm-hmm. It reaches everyone, which makes it even so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. And talks about the reach of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, actual theme song, Django. It's perfect. Oh, when it, it starts off. Oh, it's the way it starts off. It it introduces the spaghetti western that I've talked about already. You understand the world you're getting into, the universe you're getting into. Uh, it works with the when they do the winter training montage. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, dude, I remember when I was just watching the movie and I, and things, I didn't really watch a lot of Westerns up to that point. No, me neither. Yeah. So when I heard that right there, just knowing the kind of the movie I was getting into, I'm like, dude, I feel like I'm finally like knocking something off the bucket list, like watching this one scene. I, I've always, I've always went against the Western genre, but somewhere like they were like so old and kind of cheesy, you know, yeah, John yeah, Wayne out here with the, the revolver with unlimited ammo. Like I, I'm not, I'm like I, I can't do all that right there. But this, on the other hand, this was fantastic, and Absolutely. it was also like a period piece too as well. So it touched and it, it like hit yep. so many different genres at once. That that song's that song's amazing, absolutely amazing. Yep. Um, if you could change one soundtrack to this, uh, one song soundtrack, what would it be? All right. You about to say some blasphemy, but go on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is where me and Jair, are, this is where we separate right now, so I'm going to go into his own world. I'm going to sit back here and just relax. When they're on the way to uh, Candyland, when they all get on the horses and it just shows the long tracking shot of them slowly trickling down. Spaceship, Kanye West, I've been working this grave shift and I ain't made shit. It's mm-hmm. perfect. What of an absolutely perfect. You already did. Right you can't. You can't do Kanye then do Rick Ross again. 
Yeah, Rick Ross. Yes, I can. You, Why not? Choose one. It's perfect. Choose I one. You don't get both. I can choose both. It's a period piece movie, I man. I want. Oh my god. It would have been absolutely perfect because it's doing that long tracking shot. It's it's a slow moment in the film. It doesn't require that super like rap hip hop kind of thing. Like we can do something slow and mellow that perfectly illustrates what's going on. That's what I'm picking. Man, you could have went with the Negro spiritual right there. You went with um another hip hop track, then followed up with Rick Ross too as well. At that point, what kind of movie are we watching here? I want a period piece, but I don't mind you playing with that too as well. But if you give me nothing but hip hop tracks in a, a 1858 movie, I got some questions at that point. I, I can't throw a spaceship on here. L- listen to this blasphemy. No, no, I say you can't throw a spaceship in the movie. I'm just saying you can't throw a back to back with Kanye yes, and Rick Ross. Absolutely can. That man, you know what? I tell you what. I want you to cut up that scene. I want you to turn down the music, and then I want you to uh, put spaceship behind it. And I it, did. When? When I was preparing for this pod and watching the film. You watched it. You already said you liked it. We didn't get to see that. Oh, let's do it then. I ain't, I ain't scared. All right. All right. I, I, I commission you. I'm hiring right, let's you. Let's do it then. I ain't scared. All right. Bet. For me? I am that one in 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that to pop up at some point. You know we had to do it. Um, For me, I will want to change absolutely nothing. That's right. I'm going full Conor McGregor on this one. I think the soundtrack's goddamn perfect. Unlike Jair over here, who's over here hating on half the soundtrack to this goddamn oh, movie. Oh, I didn't say hate. I'm just trying to improve. I'm trying to throw some Zatarans at that chicken. Man, this thing already got Zatarans in the chicken. More Zatarans. All right, I like more Zatarans. Yeah, I'm trying to <laughs> you see what I'm trying to do here? Yeah, but yeah I, I, I like what you're trying to do there, and I don't mind you uh, wanting a different song for that walk, but... It- I need I need something different than another hip hop track, and this is sounds blasphemous coming from me too as well. You know I me, mean, much I love hip hop, but you can't follow it with the Rick Ross track again. At that point, it's like, what are we? What's going on here? I think it's just through that. I think that Rick Ross track doesn't hit as hard if you put Kanye before that, because the Rick Ross is so unexpected at that point. That's what a whole that's a whole theater. Everybody like a unison. I ain't never seen that in my life. All these ethnic groups together, everybody head on all together. I mean, you got to play it back to back. I mean, there's got to be some space. I'm just saying it would have worked in that space. I, I, when you cut that up and I play it, then I'll come in here and we'll put, put it part ah, of our missed okay. shots category. I'm scared. All right, bet. Uh, what record is the Django theme song? Now, this is your version of Django. <laughs> what you have. Now, this right here is everything. What you got? Disrespect. You go first, man. The disrespect? How's it disrespect? How's it disrespectful? You went that Kanye track bad, didn't you? It works. I got I to see it. I got to hear it. I'm not doubting it, but to fall out with Rick Ross, my Rick Ross track doesn't hit as hard if Kanye's space just comes before that. No, there's got to be some space there. I'm not saying play it back to back right away. That doesn't work, but I'm just saying there's got to be some space there. Because in the movie, there was no space. It was... We could have made it work. Okay, well, we had to see. All right, for me, uh, Western, Southern still, but Western, West, West. I went with uh, Tupac, Hail Mary. I mean, great. Yeah, that's what, if, it, if, I, if I put like this, the way we're putting this, ladies and gentlemen, is that you've seen, like, uh, tribute videos to a character. Like, I've seen a, a tribute character, uh, a tribute to the Black the Black Power Ranger, Zach, the original Black Power Ranger. And behind it, you had uh, DMX uh, getting on, uh, hit him on, getting on the floor, playing all throughout him, doing, like, his uh, his moves, dance moves, fighting. Like, it just worked well for that. So if I were to cut up uh, videos of Django in action, 
I'll put uh, Hail Mary to play in the background with that. By the way, that Black Panther video, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Black Panther's fantastic, but that Black Ranger video is fucking fantastic. I encourage everyone to watch that. But yeah, yeah, Hail Mary for me for Django. What you got? Hail Mary is perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hits on every wave. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's absolutely perfect. I got We Made It, the remix. Mm-hmm. Jay-Z, Electronica, the greatest story ever told in the field from Solomon Assemble to Django is fact. We made it from slaves on a slave ship, live from the cotton field straight to the spaceship. Jay-Z. I see what you did there. I see what you did Pop there. Pop up the slave ship, popped off my chain, and took it to Jacob. I got to go play it. I own my own, I own my own masters. You know, I ain't missing no royalty statements. Stunt on stage after 12 years of slave. The ace of spade looked like an Oscar. Black tux looked like a mobster. Don't make me raya. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Come on, man. You got Come the bars. On. You got the bars. I'll give bars. you that. But I got Pac. I got Jay Z. Let's go. That's true, too. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> and you got my major. Jango was in the song. Yeah, and Jango was in the song with Jay Electronic. I mean, yeah. I, I like that right there. I like your angle, too, as well. I'll I give you that one. They're both great. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Last call category. What is your one iconic moment from this movie? I'll let you have it. All right, so iconic moment. What is one, when you picture Django, what is one picture, one scene from this movie, still shot, that you just like, oh, Django. For me, it's when uh, Candy's house blew up and Django had on Candy's clothes, turned around, and had uh, this uh, little cigarette in his mouth too as well, smiling back at Kerry Washington. Yep. That, that one right there. Yeah, that 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 was that was everything. I remember theaters watching. That. I was like, I said, "This motherfucker won. He went for him. He went for me too. God damn it! I went to Candy Dead. I lived through Django. Like Nat Turner lived through Django. Like that was it. Was just amazing, man. Like I just, oh my god. At, at, at that point right there, it, it it really dawned on me at that very moment that this man really is a superhero. He is a he is a vigilante with no superpowers, doing God's work. And it just looks like a really cool scene too as well. I'd love to have a picture of that in the studio. Twenty four by twenty four of that. That is that that picture speaks for itself. That's black power right there, baby. Go on. That full characterization of that scene to where uh earlier in the movie when he gets to pick anything he wants and he picks the all blue. <laughs> and uh when he's riding on the horse and she says, You mean you wanna you, you wanted to wear that? Because that's all that's all Django knew. That's what success dressed like. That's what success looked like. Mm-hmm. That's what he tried to emulate. Mm-hmm. Into the full characterization of, okay, this is what I want to wear. This is who I am. I don't need to be uh, that all blue character. And that he's wearing Leo's coat, Calvin Candy's uh, coat that's used earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. Same outfit. It's same same exact outfit. It comes full circle. But it's done in a way that fits him instead of him trying to fit the outfit. It's a beautiful uh, parallel and great piece of storytelling by Tarantino. One thing about Django in this film too as well that the growth of him as a character from him with the fro, Cole with the blanket to him at the end of the movie, it's, 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 really, just two, it's really two different men. Like the, what he becomes like. Even him in, in flashbacks where he's begging for uh, 
uh, Broomhilda not to get beaten down. Like, just beat me. Don't be here. Please, please. I'm, I'm begging you. I like the way you beg, boy. To what you see at the end, it's, it's, it's the final product is, you're talking just character growth within two hours and 30, 45 minutes. Right. I don't think it gets any better like that, any better than that. The man went from a slave to a legend. And like, like, uh, Dr. Cho said, the fastest gun in the South. Ain't nobody fuck with Django. Mm-hmm. And even in possible situations, he found a way to overcome. Another, I know we're going to get to another, we both said our, our two scenes, but one of the most underrated scenes in the movie was when the, the Van Dingo fighters were heading to the, uh, the, uh, the mills to work. And the Australians came over to him with Tarantino playing that scene. And they started asking about Django. And at that point right there, they could have really donned him out or they really just lied and said, nah, that motherfucker's, motherfuckers are slay like the rest of us, you know, and just let him go. But they heard about what happened and they said, yeah, they had his back 100%. Because remember earlier, they hated him for pretty, you know, playing the role of a black slaver. And that also came back full circle too as well, that the respect they had from it and they realized that what he was trying to do, so... How is Jingle aged? It's better today than when it came out. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Some of the, uh, the the takes of can can you do this movie? What does it mean? What is that? Don't don't tell me how how our culture should do this movie. Get mm-hmm. out my face with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's aged really fucking well. The, the cast has aged exceptionally well. The acting has aged exceptionally well. Every t- because it's a Tarantino movie, it rewards multiple rewatches because you pick up new things and you attach the details. And you ask, like, who is the best supporting actor or actress? Every time I watch the movie, I change my mind. Because that's just how strong this category, the, the, the cast is. It's absolutely, utterly ridiculous. And it, it rewards it completely on every rewatch. Um, yeah, like, even the, the, the minor characters... In this movie, yeah, they, yeah, they play. They, there's not one bad acting performance in this movie. Everybody plays their role. Everybody, from the the two guys in the beginning that was uh this uh that was that Django and his and uh, the rest of slaves hooked up all across the desert. Those two dudes they play their part. Uh, the marshal, the sheriff. Uh, who else we got in here too as well? Billy Crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other uh gentleman with the um with the hat and the sawed off. He didn't really have much lines, but. He still played his part too as well. Uh, Big Daddy, like the acting all around is just, is just fantastic. The slaves in the movie they they play they played the they played the part for the period, right? And if I may, hmm. uh, like how's it age? Well, it's, it paved the way for multiple other movies. It paved the way in some ways for Black Panther. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with that too. So it, it's paved the way for uh, Miles Morales Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coming out, video mm-hmm. game coming out, and we saw it just exclusively Miles Morales. That doesn't happen ten years ago. Uh, Hell no. This movie has paved. It's continued to pay, uh, Creed to a lesser extent. It's it's continued to to pave the way. I think it'll continue to do so. Uh, it's aged just exceptionally well. The story holds up as well. So yeah, it showed that a a black lead character can be the man, win the day, win the situation. And also make money at the box office. Like you brought up Miles Morales, uh, Creed. Yeah, all those are... And those movies are, only came a couple of years ago. I mean, Django's not an old movie. It came, what, 2013? 
2013, yeah. Uh, dude, it's not it's not that old movie. It's, it's about eight years old. <laughs> and you know and even New Light, with everything that popped off as of recent with uh with George Floyd, you look at that yep. movie a lot different too as well. But please yeah. go on. Has historical context. It has the. Uh, they were talking about. Did you know that plantation they were on was an actual plantation when they filmed it in Louisiana? Oh, I did not know that. Uh, they said one of the uh, one of the German like makeup uh, detailers, like her ancestors were buried on that plantation. Like they found out. Oh damn. Uh, they 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 talked about how when they did the the snowball scene, uh, introduced how, like. Oh, we realize what we're doing here. We realize the impact of what's going on here. We realize that this is where slaves were literally buried. We realize where uh, Kerry Washington put so eloquently, we are the answer to that generation's prayer. That one day we could have this incredible movie around this character, around this circumstance where the black guy is the superhero. Mm -hmm. And and when she said we are the answer to their prayers, that was really powerful. Uh, it, 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 that part has aged successfully well. It's done in uh, excellent taste. And 20, uh, yep. Go on, I'm sorry. And then the other thing, this is a minority superhero character. This is our movie, mm-hmm. Ricky, you and I. Mm-hmm. But it transcends past that. This is a great movie. This and, is not yes. just a great black movie. This is not just a great Latino movie. This is a great, this isn't La Bamba, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Trying to introduce Latin culture. This is a great movie. This is a Quentin Tarantino movie that is up there and rivaled with any other film outside of Pulp Fiction from his catalog. Mm-hmm. It, ha- it has a place in historic precedence because of the, the Leo scene, because of uh, Christoph Waltz and, and, Sa- and Samuel, of course. This isn't just our movie. It transcends past that. It was everywhere. Everyone's seen it. Like you said, the theater. What'd you say? Everybody had nodding. All, everybody's in there, which is what we want. Mm-hmm. That's it. And you you hit it right. It's just it at the end day. It's just a great movie. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, one thing on the movie too as well. Like you said, Kerry Washington's the answer to their prayers. That's powerful. Uh, 2012 is when this movie came out. Uh, 1865 is when slavery ended. Uh, Juneteenth we just, we just had recently in the uh, in the United States. Uh, that was between that those two dates. That's less than 150 years. That's not. That's not a very long time at all. Not as historically, far, yeah, it's not at all. It's three, four generations worth of time. That's it. That's it. So, with that much work that has been done in between that time, we still have a lot, a lot, a lot of ways to go. But this movie right here, as far as Django, you know, just winning at the end of the day, it was, it is exactly what it delivered. Every single, it gave you exactly what you wanted without being ob- obvious to it. Like it's not like oh yeah I know Django's gonna win here, you know you didn't know how it's gonna play out what, how it's gonna go down you just, you, just, you just didn't know but I'm I'm glad it I'm glad everything how it happened happened this is goddamn amazing um sequel before we say sequel I do have to say something yep. Django has already appeared in another movie Jamie Fox Django has already appeared in another movie uh a million ways to die in the West there's a cutscene at the very end. Where Django shows up and he he, he uh, kills some, I think he kills a slave owner, and then he says like one of the one of the catchy lines from that movie. But Django Django himself, the character, has appeared in another movie. Um, Tarantino doesn't really do sequels. I mean, he did Kill Bill Volume Two, but That's one movie. yeah, but we st- I, 
what I really well Tarantino, what we really been waiting on was Kill Bill uh, Volume Three. That's what we've really been waiting on. They kind of set that up in Volume One, but they haven't really delivered that one. Kill Bill Volume Three, I'm, I'm still holding out hopes for, but he doesn't really do um he doesn't really do sequels. Of course, I love a Django sequel, but it's not something he really that's really in his wheelhouse. I know his worlds are somewhat connected, and there's been talk of uh what if Tarantino had like his own Avengers type movie. With like all his characters in one setting, and they all like did something together. I don't know how that would work because this movies are kind of grounded, but they still have like this fantasy aspect to it, and it's kind of like even with the, like the gore, like the blood squirting all out of everybody, and half the movie could turn into a cartoon at some point, you know. But a sequel, I don't know. I can see him doing a sequel. I would love it, but I think Django's done enough already as a character. That I don't know if a sequel is really necessary. Like I said, that's not really what Tarantino does. But please. So how this is, movie has lived on? The uh, you brought to my attention. I didn't know this. The uh, Django and the Zorro, right? Uh, Django and Zorro. I did. I did. We did talk about that and, right there. Please, please talk about that. Uh, yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. I I don't think I would. I, I wouldn't want another like just straight up Django too. That doesn't make sense. But a Django with a Zorro universe. Uh, Django in a shall we get into what you you're gonna come up with here in a bounty law universe perhaps? Mm, Django Zorro, the, it was a book written by Qu- uh, Quentin Tarantino yeah. too as well. Yeah, we did talk it about did. it offline. Yep. Oh, but can you uh, speak on your theory? Once upon a time in Hollywood and Django, perhaps change. <sighs> <laughs> Uh, I was looking at an article I was off of Clyde just like a year ago, but they're told uh, Quentin Tarantino was told making makes it possibly making a Django Zorro movie, but that was a year ago. I haven't seen anything from that recently. I just, I just have, but yeah, Django and Zorro together in a movie, that would be something that how you push the character forward without like ah Django's fighting against another slave owner again. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that can't happen. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's continue to move this forward, ladies and gentlemen. Like somewhere after the Civil War. Like in a maybe like an industrial revolution yeah. type era where Django, an older Django, was you know Misa with like a young Zorro or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can see some. I, and I haven't read the book at all, but which I, I would love. I need to. All right, so here's a theory. I brought this up earlier. Leo DiCaprio. What if the man playing Leo DiCaprio is not actually Leo DiCaprio at all? What if it's actually Rick Dalton from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Now. Jair is pointing out that there's really nothing been in place saying that. And Django actually, so there's two Tarantino words, two, two Tarantino worlds. You have the movie verse and you have the actual real verse. Uh, Kill Bill, that exists in the movie verse. Pulp Fiction exists in the real verse. Uh, if you go back to Pulp Fiction, Uma Thurman's character is talking about, yeah, I shot a pilot. Perfectly described all the characters from Kill Bill Volume One. The pilot was never picked up. Uh, that's ninety four, two thousand three. I believe when uh, Kill Bill Volume One came out, it's a movie with pretty much describing all the characters, the main characters in uh, Kill Bill Volume One and Two. Uh, there's another movie too as well. There's a couple of movies I could look it up, but it's, it's irrelevant to the fact right now. The thing is that there's two worlds: uh, film verse and the actual movie verse. Django. So I did back and did some research. Django actually exists in the actual real uh, verse, and not the not the film verse. So it'll be hard for this theory to even be a thing. But I'll say, that, who knows how that could be cleaned up in a different movie? 
I mean, it's it's up for interpretation as far as whatever Tarantino wants to do. But what if Rick Dalton from Once Upon a Time, I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, was playing uh, actual Leo's role? It was actually him that's the actor. Uh, there's a little bit. There's one thing behind it that you can kind of see. Remember that one scene with uh, Rick Dalton in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he's playing the villain, which I actually went back and watched. Fan- fantastic scene. Uh, he's got the little girl capped up and he's talking, you know, n- number bullshit to uh, to the hero. You know, give my money, I want fifty grand. He's he's going off left and right. Like that scene right there, kind of had, uh, was kind of similar. Not as well acted though, but kind of similar. That that was a character. That Rick Dalton character was kind of similar to what Candy did and Django with him, you know, getting you know real angry and all the acting from there. So. I don't know. It's just something that's out there on the internet. I don't. I don't really uh, subscribe to it, but at the very least, I thought it was interesting to bring up. Uh, in Tarantino's hands, I trust it. Uh, if he were to do a sequel, uh, like you said, it can't be the same thing over again. That doesn't work. But a Zorro, a Once Upon a Time, uh, mesh up, if you will. Uh, I, I, I pay to see that. What do you rank Django? This is off cuff. Oh God! <laughs> Fuck! Yeah, I tell you, offend I, some people. I'll tell you my rankings right now. Um, Django's my number three. My number one is Pulp Fiction. My number two is Hateful Eight. <laughs> 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 no, nah, I got Hateful Eight oh like number God. nine or ten. Hell no, nah, I got that no number two. No, for me it's a uh, Pulp Fiction. Um, I'm going Django number two. Reservoir Dogs number three. I know there's some people out there that would uh, definitely have Reservoir Dogs. That's not some people. A lot of people have Reservoir Dogs number two. You put me in this predicament. You know what you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing something, but I'm going uh, Django behind Reservoir Dogs. I love Reservoir Dogs, but oh, I'll, I'll, I'll put it. Was that third? Reservoir Dogs number three. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I got a uh, yeah Reservoir Dogs. Number three. Yeah, shout out to Mr. Pink and Brown. But I got a uh, I got yeah I got Dogs three Django two Pulp Fiction is like. The gold standard for I think movies in general. So that's my that's my holy grail of movies. Not even Tarantino movies, just movies in general. So yeah, Pulp Fiction is up there with like The Godfather. Like it's in that yeah, echelon. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah, it's, it's like just, top. It's like Shawshank Redemption. It's in that top five all time. Yeah, and that's right. And all the acts, like the act scenes too, as well. That's why yeah, I, I did for my write up. Yeah, it's just, well, we'll we'll do a we'll save that for a, a Pulp Fiction five. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pulp Fiction is one. Mm. Okay, now it gets interesting. I personally put Inglorious Bastards number two. I will fight for that. Mm-hmm. I will fight for that when we do the case of Inglorious Bastards. Mm, I respect it. I respect it. Uh, I think it's just absolutely phenomenal. I have Reservoir Dogs three. I have Django four with Kill Bill as four A. Um, that's not disrespectful to Django. It's just that we're like, like, what's your favorite card? One, two, or three? Like, you can make a case for one, two, or three. Mm-hmm. And it might change on what <laughs> what day uh, it, it might is. Change in the next listen. Uh, so. Where would you have uh, Jackie Brown in uh, Once Upon a Time? Jackie Brown is above Kill Bill Volume 2, but below the the movies we already talked about. Once Upon a Time, I'd like to give some time. Uh, I would slide it in that. Uh, it's in that Jingle Kill Bill echelon tier. Uh, uh, for me, Inglourious is definitely number four. I'm gonna put a. Uh, I need to go back and watch Jackie Brown again. Mm, I had to put, 
but I, I'm excited to have it watched. It's just been a while. I had to put uh, Once Upon a Time my number five. I know a lot of people didn't like that movie, but and a lot of people didn't like the uh, the way uh, Bruce Lee was uh, depicted in the movie. But it's a movie with factual mixed in with realism. So and it's a movie at the end of the day. So yeah, Once I, Upon I, a Time is is a hangout movie. It's yeah. Not- about the plot it's really about the character it's a character movie and you're kind of hanging out with them yeah exactly but so. you see it through that lens and you're hanging out in southern california in 1969 and the late 60s it's it's a different movie altogether. I mean, yeah he's got charles manson and bruce lee like i mentioned other historical like it's it's, it's a tarantino flick with this heavy on the characters yep. uh i'll go jackie brown number six from what i remember from it uh my number seven is volume two <laughs> uh my number eight I'm forgetting my number eight. I, I, I missed the movie here. I'm looking through a list. Uh, Death Proof is definitely my number nine. Hateful Eight is my number ten. Actually, you know what? I got Hateful Eight uh, my number nine. Um, and Death Proof my number ten. I need to go back. You know what? I really need to go back and watch um, the Hateful Eight. You're not missing anything. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. So what I go with? I said Paul Fiction number one. Mm-hmm. Django number two. Uh, Reservoir Dogs three. Uh, number four, Inglorious. Five, I'm going volume one. There it is. Six, I'm going Once Upon a Time. Seven, I go Jackie Brown. Eight, volume two. Nine, Hateful Eight. Ten, Death Proof. That's my list. We generally agree. Yeah. We have pretty I would slide uh, Inglorious number two. And I will make that case. I, uh, I'm not upset for you for making that case at all. And honestly, after, uh, vol- after, uh, after Pulp Fiction is number one, to be honest, those like the next like between Reservoir Dogs, Django, Inglorious, and Volume One, I don't really care which way you go. To be honest, like you can pick, it's, yeah. yeah. Like I respect, I respect any list that has those two through five. Now, if you had like yeah. Death Proof number one and Volume Two number two, I'm like, you know what? Maybe you need to go back and watch those movies. You know, maybe you just shouldn't watch movies. Maybe movies aren't for you. So. But everything's subjective. It's all art, so whatever. Yep. But my friend, uh, that is the case of Django. That was fantastic. You did a you did an excellent job, dude. Last thoughts. Um, I encourage everyone to do research on Nat Turner. Uh, understand the history of Nat Turner, and then you will go back and listen to my speech again, my monologue, and you will understand certain parts of it too as well. If you're not very familiar with the man, if you are familiar with the man, then you would be pleasantly surprised and pleased of how I put that one together. The acts, courtesy of Tarantino, a lot of the blood and gore in there, courtesy courtesy of Tarantino. Uh, story inspired by Jaya Plasance and Quentin Tarantino. So that's that. Maybe in the same sense with Tarantino, I had a ring to it. Uh, <laughs> my final thought is, uh, as we record this, this movie is free on is, is free on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I'll stream it. If you don't have someone's Netflix account, uh, get someone's uh, information. If you can't get someone's information, I ain't gonna uh, tell you go to seven day free trial. Yeah, and if you can't do that, I ain't gonna tell you. Well, no, do seven day free trial. Get a burner email, and just cancel after six. Save a reminder in your phone, and you're good to go. Just watch the damn movie. I ain't got nothing else for the people. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Share. Make sure you uh, send this out to your friends too as well. Show us some love. Got nothing but love for y'all back. Jaya, nothing but love for you always too as well, my man. We out. <laughs>